Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast. A weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Himra Chanel, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Ave, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. Park Avenue Baptist Church, in response to COVID-19, has suspended in-person worship, but that can't stop us. What you'll hear on this podcast is a recording of our online worship, which happens each Sunday at 10 a.m. Join us through our Facebook, at Park Ave Baptist, or our Instagram, at Park Ave Baptist. We hope that you stay safe in these difficult times. Okay, so we have come to our time of scripture reading. Can everybody hear me? Okay, good. (laughs) I don't know why I always have to check as if my microphone stopped working, but. Now hear this scripture from the book of Acts. Meanwhile, Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest seeking letters to the synagogues in Damascus. If he found persons who belonged to the way, whether men or women, these letters would authorize him to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. During the journey as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven encircled him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? Saul asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are harassing, came the reply. Now get up and enter the city. You will be told what you must do. Those traveling with him stood there speechless. They had heard the voice, but saw no one. After they picked Saul up from the ground, he opened his eyes, but he couldn't see. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and neither ate nor drank anything. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It is a joy to be back at Park Avenue. Love, 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 love you. I remember the first time I came to preach years ago, Jabari, my nephew was with me. And when we walked in, he was like, Aunt Sandy, I love this place. You can wear flip-flops and it's okay. (laughs) And that just speaks to the ways in which this congregation loves without the judgment and the pretense that some places require. If you show up in flip-flops or you show up barefoot, if you come dressed to the nines or if you just are kicking it in jammies, you know, Park Avenue is that place that welcomes you. And I'm so thankful to God to be here to preach, to bring this word to you this morning particularly because today is very significant. It is the first Sunday of Women's History Month. It is also named International Women's Day. 
as well as being the commemorative 56th year since Bloody Sunday in Selma. Um, it holds a lot of history, a lot of significance. And so I'm honored to be here as a woman, as a black woman, and as the daughter of immigrant parents. So thank you for having me in this space. Um, let us dive into the word. The translation of the text that was read, thank you so much for the beautiful reading. I do wanna just, um, the translation that I'm working from, I wanna just highlight one word difference. In verse three, it says, now he was going along and approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Let us pray. God, open our ears that we might hear you. Open our ears that we might hear you. Open our ears that we might hear you. Open our hearts that we might receive you. And God, our lives that we might allow what we've heard and received to shine through. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For many of us, this is a familiar road to Damascus conversion story of Saul, who was later renamed Paul. If you're familiar with this text, or if you're unfamiliar and choose to read ahead, I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. At the end of this encounter, what happens is that Saul is ultimately led to Ananias. Jesus comes back to Ananias and speaks what should be done regarding Saul. And after both Saul and Ananias obey Jesus, something like scales fall from Saul's eyes and his sight is restored. He is converted, baptized, and so begins the ministry of Saul, whose name is ultimately changed to Paul. But before Saul becomes Paul, he is a hired henchman of the Roman Empire, namely that of the high priests. Now that in and of itself is baffling to me because like when exactly do high priests need henchmen? I mean, these men historically noted as such uniquely called to the sacred task of entering into the holy of holies in the temple to stand before God on behalf of the people to make atonement for their sins. These people need henchmen? I know we've all sat through a contentious church meeting, maybe sent or received a strongly worded email or text, been in a rough deacons meeting or 20, had a difficult conversation, but how and when exactly does hiring henchmen and hunting down human beings become a part of this call to love and to serve? When did these public leaders, these faith leaders, these high priests, when did they become so callous and cavalier? How did those who were charged to protect and serve, to serve God and protect the people, how did they become so mean? It's amazing what a little fear can do. Jesus had challenged both the empire and the faith, embodying the power of both throne and theology. And although the empire had successfully killed the man, somehow they failed to destroy his ministry. 
the way they were called, the followers of the way, and it was only growing since his death and rumored resurrection. So they hired henchmen, and among them, a man named Saul, one who was willing to search for these humans, to hunt for them, these followers of the way, simply because what they believed, who they were, how they looked, how they lived, how they loved, how they were was different. Disciples of Jesus, no matter where they were, no matter who they were, the text says, Saul said, men or women, doesn't matter, child or young person, elderly, doesn't matter, I will find you. They could be closing the prayer of their Bible study at Mother Emmanuel. They could be children playing in the park with a toy, Tymere. They could be purchasing something from a store. They could be talking on the phone while walking home. They could be in a regular routine traffic stop. They could be playing loud music in a car. They could be home with their girlfriend. They could be laying in bed asleep. Saul was going to find them. The text says that on his way to Damascus, on this hunt for human beings, a bright light flashed from heaven and Saul fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? At that moment, he and his companions could not see anyone, but could only hear a voice. Why do you persecute me? It is the cry of every oppressed people to their oppressor. Why do you persecute me? The native and the immigrant, those marginalized identities that are rendered inconsequential, their sacred lands unworthy of anything but pillaging their children fit only for cages. Why do you persecute me? It is the, it is the petition of same gender loving, trans, queer, and gender nonconforming persons whose love is deemed sinful, identity is labeled immoral, and whose existence is often met with humiliation and brutality. Why do you persecute me? It is the age-old battle cry of women whose bodies is subjected to unwanted commentary, judgment, and attack, whose necks break daily on the invisible glass ceiling of an inequality, whose choice and rights are up for public debate and political vote why do you persecute me? It echoes in the voices of the lives of Asians and Arabs, Muslims and Jews, East Indian and West Indian, old and young. It's buried in every protest mantra and chant. I hear the words in there. Why do you persecute me? Buried beneath the calls that say I can't breathe and hands up, don't shoot. It's embedded in the hashtags of Trayvon and Renisha. It's embedded in Brianna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, this gut-wrenching lament of Black people whose ancestors literally built this country, its ivory towers and capital buildings who fought in this country's wars and who involuntarily tilled this nation's soil, Black people who are perpetually showing up in places, putting life and limb on the line to save this country from itself, only to be reminded that the promise of liberty and justice for all was never meant for us. Why do you persecute me? It is not merely a question or an inquiry for understanding. It is also a plea to make it stop.
why do you persecute me? And what makes this passage so mind-blowing is that these words don't come from the oppressed. It doesn't come from the marginalized or the ostracized. These words don't come from the downtrodden. They come from the divine. Out of heaven's cloak of invisibility, Jesus speaks. Why do you persecute me? Saul and his friends don't see anyone, but they can hear him. Why do you persecute me? Jesus could have picked any form to come to Saul in, but Jesus chose to be the very thing that society had made his followers invisible. It is remarkable that the ones who could not see were the mighty. The ones who could not see were the privileged. The ones who could not see were the devout. Those who had every resource at their disposal could not see. They could not see the truth when he walked among them. They could not see who the way was when the way was right there. They could not see anything on their way to Damascus Road. They heard, but they just could not see. Before I go any further, I have to give a disclaimer. I want to be very clear. This is not an indictment or commentary on the differently abled or the visually impaired. Rather, this is a lesson on society's willful oppression of the righteous, the innocent, the marginalized, the othered. Now let's dive right back into this text. The text says they could not see. But the text is only referring to that one moment, that one occasion on Damascus Road. It was such that at that moment, for that time, they could not see. And for three days following, Saul could not see. But before that, they refused to see. They refused to see God ensconced in brown skin and woolly hair supping with the unsavory. They refused to see the calling, the power, and the anointing of the women who not only funded the ministry, but stood faithfully at the foot of the cross when the men had fled in fear. They refused to see that it was women who first proclaimed the message of the risen savior. They refused to see, don't get it twisted on the road. They couldn't see, but before that they refused to see. They conjured excuses for leaked tapes and justified no knock warrants. They refused to see. They refused to see the poor and the vulnerable, the hungry and the suffering. They refused to see children being abused by priests and coaches, teachers and grown-up strangers and those supposedly to be friends. They refused to see toxic water supplies piped into public housing. They refused to see the impact of blatant lies and hate-filled speech from the Oval Office. They refused to see the realities of injustice, refused to see the corruption of the force, refused to see the rampant pandemic of domestic violence and sexual abuse, refused to see those who prey on the elderly, refused to see the disparities of race, class, gender, orientation, immigration, religion, and education. They refused to see you. They refused to see me for a moment. They could not see. But before that, they refused to see. Refused to see that the one they had been persecuting was Jesus. Jesus doesn't ask Saul, why are you persecuting my people? No, Jesus asks, why are you persecuting 
me. Somebody needs to hear that question today from both the seat of the savior and the seat of the sinner to be reminded that we are not alone in our suffering, that God isn't just sitting by watching from the sidelines, but the injustices we face, God faces with us. By the same token, we occupy a very complex identity, needing at once to be reminded that we are not alone in our struggle. And that at the very same time, we must face the fact that we are also active members of the priesthood. The very high priest who hired henchmen in the first place, we are counted among the masses who condone these heinous acts of persecution and oppression, often through our silence. See, we who profess to believe in Jesus, those of us who claim to be committed to shining God's light and sharing God's love are often the ones who refuse to see. We, we refuse to see, we refuse to see. But who have we rendered invisible? Whose plight and suffering have we dismissed? Whose smiles did we not see behind? Whose identity did we fail to validate? Why have we chosen to persecute Jesus? Those in the text refuse to see and so do we making the words of Ralph Ellison not only applicable in the, to the marginalized, but also to God. I am invisible, understand, simply because people refuse to see me. I know I am at Park Avenue Baptist Church, one of the few congregations in Atlanta known for its genuinely open and affirming inclusivity, a love for all people. So I can imagine you are probably sitting in the comforts of your home saying, because I'm barking up the wrong tree. This is not that church. We are a church that continues to publicly stand with, for, and in solidarity with those in the margins. I hear you. I hear you telling me that as a church. I've seen you as a church face the consequences of alienation, financial disassociation, loss of denominational affiliation for your allegiance to the call to love God and all of creation. I've seen it for myself and it has warmed my heart to bear witness to these truths, to call you friend and to know this church community as family. I also wrestle with the reality that what we may be refusing to see is right in front of our faces. Sure, we'll read a book. We will use the politically correct terms, preferred pronouns, we'll make a few online posts, commit to a public stance, but will we stop refusing to see? Because in addition to the public measures, we also need what is also needed is to face the perpetrators of the system whose misogynistic, racist, xenophobic, homophobic, and toxic antics have been granted a passive permission to reside without challenge or correction in our communities, in our spheres of influence, on our jobs, in our families, in our homes, at our dinner tables, in our beds, and in the confines of our own unexamined hearts. They refused to see. We refuse to see. Refuse to see that what we are fighting is so giant that it not only resides out there, it also resides in here. Sometimes 
We refuse to see because change seems unlikely. These problems have existed for what seems like forever. So we dismiss the possibility that it will ever happen, much less that we will see it in our lifetime. They're too old to change, we say. That's just how they are, we say. That's how it's always been, we say. They are a lost cause, we say. Saul, Saul seemed like a hopeless cause, a staunch proponent for the other side. Oh, oh, but there is something powerful about this text. See, Saul couldn't see. They refused to see, yes, but Jesus doesn't waste time on trying to get them to see. Instead, Jesus taps into the first gift of creation. Jesus simply speaks, knowing that the start of creation itself began with the word. The power of life and death reside in the tongue. Jesus spoke, knowing faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Jesus spoke and souls whole life changed. The life of the people that he was going to capture changed. The ministry was changed. Saul's life trajectory was changed because when God speaks, things change. Mountains move aside. Chains are broken. Dry bones get new life. Health is restored. Stormy seas are made still. Light is created. Earth is formed. Creation is crafted. New laws are established. New covenants are made. The dead come alive. When God speaks, things change. What seemed impossible is made actual. What seemed improbable is made real. When God speaks, things change. So we who claim to be the disciples of Jesus must learn from this example. Open your mouth and speak. It doesn't matter if you've got a seat at the table and office in the building, if you're a stakeholder in the company, speak. Whether you are have a moment at the mic or a position on the program, speak. It doesn't matter if they've rendered you invisible. They don't have to see you to hear you. Open your mouth and speak. We were not made to be a fly on anybody's wall. We are positioned for a purpose, to be an agent of change. Open your mouth and speak. We must learn to speak. Speak, speak so that things change for the better. Speak so that the scales fall and the blind see. Speak so that the poor receive God's good news. Speak so that the brokenhearted are comforted and the captives are set free. Speak so that we might know what's possible. Speak so that in this lifetime we may see justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Speak so so that transformation is inevitable and equal access to life is given to all. Speak, speak life, speak life, speak life, speak so that we might hear the voice of God and be found. Speak, be transformed and saved. Speak so that we can open our eyes and see. Speak, open your mouth and simply speak. The word of God for the people of God. Speak. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m.-ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta, across the street from Grant Park, at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavebaptist.com. Now go into a world that is too often unjust. Knowing that the God that created you loves you. And empowers you to love boldly, live inclusively. And serve creatively. Creatively.